Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. As you can hear, I'm still fighting off a cold for like the fifth week in a row, so that's fun. Uh, I may have to pause and give a little cough here and there, uh, but we're going to get through it together. Uh, If you would like an outline, they're in the back. It's going to have the points of today's sermon. It's going to have a place to take notes, and it's going to have also the additional references that I'm using today all printed out there for you. Um, There are certain passages of Scripture that apply to us um, or that don't apply to us in the same way that they did to the original audience. There are some that do and there are some that don't, right? Um, There are a handful of passages, in other words, that, that simply can't apply to us in 2023 in the exact same one-to-one way that they did to the original audience. Uh, And when we come upon passages like that, they serve to remind us that these were real people writing letters to real people. And we're getting the benefit of reading them, and they're recorded for us, they're written down for us, they're Uh, They're part of God's word, but these were real people writing to other real people. So one example is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, It'll be behind me up there on the screen. And what you're going to notice is that Paul is writing to Timothy, and he is cold. And he wants his coat. And he also wants his books and parchments. And so that meant something for Timothy that it cannot mean for us. Because we don't have Paul's coat, nor do we know where it is. We don't have Paul's parchments. And even if we had those things, Paul's been dead for nearly two millennia. right? So it would be really difficult to obey 2 Timothy 4.13 in the same way that Timothy had to. So when we come upon instructions like these, right, ones that are maybe among the easiest to understand, but the most difficult to apply, what do we do? What do we look for? Because all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, even these parts. So what's our takeaway from a verse like 2 Timothy 4.13 or from Hebrews chapter 13? Principles and examples. And that's what we're going to spend our time looking for today. Right? When we come across material like this in the Bible, we have to do a little bit of digging for the principles that are underlying what is said and for examples that we might follow. The very end of Hebrews is going to require a similar sort of digging for us. Right? We don't know the author. Like, not. Yes, we don't know him personally. We don't even know who it was. Okay, We don't know the author. And so when he asks the church to pray for him, well, he's no longer in need of our prayers, even if we did know him. So we're going to spend our time looking at principles and examples. My hope for this is twofold. First, that you will be encouraged by what we find in this text. And second my hope, is that you'll be better equipped to study the Bible when you come to passages like this that conclude a letter. So, 
Stand with me and let's read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 through 25 together. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we need help to discern the principles that are motivating what's written here. And we need help applying them by way of examples to our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would help us in the time that we have. That you would give sound interpretation. That you would give application to us that will truly change the way that we think and the way that we act. Uh, all for Christ's sake. Because he is the great shepherd of the sheep who shed the blood of the eternal covenant and is raised from the dead. Let everything that we say, think, and do be motivated and energized by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And let all of it um, redound to your glory, God. Thank you for gathering us here. May we treasure and prize even the conclusion to a letter Hebrews 13, as much as we do Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 1, because it is your word to us, and we thank you for it. We want to humble ourselves under it and receive it with meekness. So use this time and make it beneficial, great shepherd, for your sheep, in whose name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Number one. The first thing that we see here is asking for prayer. And it's based on this principle. Our sovereign God answers prayer. So the author here says, pray for us. As you think about why he asks for prayer, is it the answer ultimately because he knows that prayer works? Right? If you don't believe prayer works... Why would you ask for prayer? You're going to ask for money because money works. Right? You're going to ask for food because food gives you energy. Right? He's asking for prayer because he knows that prayer works. He doesn't trouble himself here with a discussion of divine sovereignty and the ways in which human prayers interact with God's purposes in the world and whether or how they influence his purposes in the world he just takes God at his word. God commands his people to pray, and he tells them that he will hear and respond to their prayers. That's enough for him. 
It doesn't require a satisfying answer to every mystery. As much as we might like an answer to every mystery of how God's sovereignty and human responsibility and human prayer work themselves out in our lives, as much as we might want that explanation, that's not required to believe that our sovereign God answers prayer. You can believe that without having to answer every question. You can live a fruitful Christian life without having a satisfying answer to all of those mysteries. In fact, his request for prayer, if you think about what he says, it actually might make you slightly uncomfortable. Because he seems to believe that not only does God hear and respond to prayers, but that in some way, he actually responds to the frequency and fervency of their prayers, right? He says, pray for us. And then he says, I urge you, urge you the more earnestly to do this. He's earnestly urging them to pray. And why? In order that... I may be restored to you the sooner. Let that sit for a second. Because it seems like our author here understands that something about the timeline of him being able to be back with them depends on their prayer. Such that he urges them to pray earnestly. Doesn't that make you a little uncomfortable? But this is a biblical author who's saying the fervency and the frequency of your prayer may actually affect how quickly I'm able to get there. So that if you pray earnestly and fervently, I might get there sooner than if you didn't pray. That's just what it says. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. We have to include verses like this in our theology of prayer. Through God's answer to their prayers, he might get there sooner and he might act more honorably in ways that he might not have if they did not pray. We've got to let that sink in to our heads and our hearts. And I will tell you in just a moment how this affected me this week. But God is completely sovereign. That is true. This completely sovereign God hears our prayers and acts through them in a way that might not have happened otherwise. That is also true. We're all familiar with Jesus' famous words, right? The... uh, Your father knows what you need before you ask, so don't bother praying, right? Wait, that's not what it says? Oh, what does it say? Your father knows what you need before you ask, so pray like this. So pray. He knows what you need before you pray, so pray. James 5 just the book, a book over toward the end of the Bible. 
17 and 18 says this. Excuse me. Elijah was a man. We're going to go to 16 too in a minute. Don't, if, if you think I just skipped 16, don't worry. We're, we're going to hit that in just a moment. Uh, but Elijah, right, we just sang about the heroes of the faith. Why are they heroes of the faith? Because they believed in a great God, right? He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. God's people understand that our sovereign God hears and answers our prayers. I just... Maybe, maybe, if you write in your Bible, maybe beside Hebrews 13, 18 and 19, you just want to, I mean, write, prayer matters. Prayer matters. That's the principle. Like, that really is the principle. If our sovereign God hears and answers our prayers then what we have to conclude is that prayer matters. It matters. Um, this, this, like, this challenged me so much this week with just the idea that there, prayer, prayer, my prayers for myself make a difference in myself. My prayers for my family make a difference for my family. My prayers for our church make a difference for our church. Prayer matters. God is favorably disposed toward his people and will answer their prayers. And if prayer matters for me, doesn't prayer matter for you? The same way, if you're his. Your prayers for yourself, like your prayers to lay down sin and to walk in righteousness, they matter. Your prayers for your spouse, your prayers for your kids, they matter. You're not just talking to air. Your prayers rise as incense before the sovereign God of all the earth as you, as you stand boldly, kneel at his throne, at the altar, and he hears, and he responds. I had to repent this week because of this, because my prayers are too small and too few. And if I'm honest, they don't, they don't have the fervency that it sounds like he's after here. Maybe you need to repent of small Small prayers that lack fervency. But the example, that application was free, just because that's the way that this wrecked me this week. Um, The example that we see in here is one that I want to press on your heart of asking others to pray for our needs. 
So the principle is our sovereign God hears our prayers and responds. And the example that we see here is one of asking for prayer, right? Um, This is where our theology of prayer and our knowledge of our needs meet. So if you aren't asking others to pray for you, it may either be a deficiency in theology of prayer. Maybe you just think it won't matter, so you don't ask people to pray for you. Or maybe it's a deficiency in your knowledge of your own weakness. Or maybe you know your weakness, but you don't like to talk about your weaknesses. Maybe you're unwilling to admit your weaknesses to others. It's a vulnerable thing, right, to tell others about our weaknesses, deficiencies, and needs, to let them in on the contents of our heart, the sinful contents of our hearts. But understand this, the more that we let people in, the more specifically they can pray for us, and thus, if what we've learned is that prayer matters, the more specifically God may answer their prayers on our behalf. James 5.16. Told you we were going to go there. Connects confession of sin, making my heart known, and prayer. Right. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, so that those other people can go gossip about you? No. Pray for one another that, confess your sins and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confession of sin and prayer are connected here. Confess your sins and pray that you may be healed. Because this author in Hebrews knows his needs, he tells them and humbly requests prayer for them. A willingness to ask for prayer also touches upon our view of God. If we believe that God is and will be favorably disposed to the prayers of his people, then we will ask others to pray. If we know that we're needy people, we'll ask others to pray. It is a delight of our heavenly father to hear and answer the prayers of his dearly loved children because of the atoning work of his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. We ought to develop the practice of asking others to pray for us, of having a right theology of prayer, knowing our need and humbly confessing our needs to people. Not just our sins, but yes, our sins, but our needs, just our neediness. Bringing that before people and saying, pray for me because we have a sovereign God who I believe will hear your prayers and mine and will answer them because prayer matters, okay? 18 and 19, prayer matters. Uh, In that same vein, 20 and 21, talk about um, praying for others. And the principle here is that God equips his people to do his will and please him. So, What's going on in 20 and 21 is a benediction. A benediction is a fancy word for blessing. He's blessing this church. But a blessing is a prayer to God that recognizes him as the source of blessing. 
and thus requests from God a particular good for the one upon whom the blessing is conferred. I know that was probably convoluted. Let me, let me, try, to, let me try to say that differently. A blessing recognizes that blessings come from God. Right? I'm speaking this, but I have no power in myself to make this happen for you. I am invoking God as the source of blessing to confer a good upon you, some good upon you. Like I'm asking him to show up on your behalf and do something good for you. That's a blessing. And our, our author acknowledges that only God can equip his people to do his will and please him. So he says, now may the God of peace. Now there, there's that first thing, may the God of peace. And now he's actually going to, to talk about the God of peace a little bit, but then he's going to get to what he's saying. Uh, so the God of peace, who the Father brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, and he is the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. So the means of what he's going to bring into being in our lives that he's praying for is the blood of the eternal covenant that Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, shed. So he says, May the God of peace, 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's acknowledging, using exalted language to acknowledge blessing. This type of blessing only comes from God. So the equipping of the people of God to do the will of God and please God the Father only comes from God. And therefore, he's praying this spiritual good on their behalf. What greater prayer could this author offer up for this people than the fulfillment of the very things about which he's written for nearly 13 chapters. It would be pleasing for them to hold fast their confession. It would be pleasing in his sight for them to let brotherly love continue to obey their leaders, right? It would be pleasing for them to draw near to the throne of grace that they might find mercy and help in the time of need. This would be pleasing in God's sight. And that only comes from God. Jesus, the great shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep, shedding the blood of the eternal covenant and was raised from the, de uh, from the dead by the Father. I'm not going to go deep into every one of these phrases because I'm going to tell you what my plan is. My plan is on December 31st when we gather for our last time together as a body before we make the transition to, into another church, which, by the way, if you're visiting and you're new, uh, our church at the end of this year is planning to transition and join with Alpine First Baptist Church. If you have questions, I'd be happy to talk to you later about that. But our last gathering together to close down this season of our church, I'm planning to preach these verses, 20 and 21. Because I think that's a really fitting way to close down 
this season and to encourage us for the next season. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back some of the exposition of these things until that day. Okay? So Lord willing, on the 31st of December, we will talk about more of what 20 and 21 are saying. But for right now, what you need to see is that Christ's atoning work and resurrection, the work God does in believers and their doing of his will and pleasing him all ultimately results in God's glory in the world in the heavenly realm. Because our author prays that, that God would be glorified. That which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Matthew five sixteen. Jesus talks about um, letting people see your deeds so that they may give glory to your Father in heaven. Right? We don't, we don't, he warns us about doing deeds to be seen by others. In other words, patted on the back by them. 